Good evening, Patriots, and today is the end of Thursday, June 1st in the year 2023. Crazy time, I'm telling you. Crazy time we are in. With all the things that we know that they're doing to steal this country from us, we're going to have to start making some hard decisions and really put our faith on the front of what we want this country to be instead of always putting it on the back. And unfortunately, that's kind of the way a lot of things are these days. So, Patriots, one thing is for sure that food is a critical weapon in this fight. And these people are doing all they can to use food as a weapon system. Make sure you're well stocked up on the things you need. Patriots, you've seen the dire headlines we're facing in the world today. Everywhere you look, things are falling apart. That's why the smartest investment you can make right now is in your family's food security. We've seen supply chains break down, food processing plants burn. We've seen animals cold because of so-called viruses. The reality is you might not be able to find food when the next disaster strikes. Imagine a moment in the future where grocery stores could be empty, roads closed, and trucks won't be able to make deliveries. When that happens, you need emergency food in full supply. That's why I urge you to grab a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest preparedness company. When you order today, you'll save $200 on each kit you need. Having these kits means your family will stay fed while others stand in food lines. Don't delay. Order your three-month emergency food kit today and save $200 per kit. It's easy to order. Go to preparewithbards.com. You'll get fast and free shipping too. Preparewithbards.com. Do this today. You won't regret it. Preparewithbards.com. There is a guy that if you are not familiar with him, you should be. His name is Todd Pierce. And he works, he has his ministry. It's called Riding High Ministries. And what he is, is he's a horse whisperer, but he doesn't like to be called that. He's been working with another group called Crossroads Church, which you'll find on YouTube easily to really see the full length of his work. He's a cowboy. He's a horse whisperer. He's a rodeo rider. And he tells a story of his faith and of our relationship with God through the experience that he does in front of an audience where he takes a horse, a wild horse, and he tames it, doesn't break it, but he tames it in about an hour's time. And these horses, he doesn't know before he steps into the ring. There's a lot of deep lessons in there, and I know some have seen him, and I would really recommend you check him out. And it's worth the experience. I will tell you that when I watched it yesterday, and I have to apologize, one of our fantastic followers sent it to me. And I'm forgetting who exactly it was. I've just had a ton of emails lately. And this was earlier in the week. And their comment to me was, you need to sit and watch the whole thing. Now, just so you know, my schedule's pretty packed these days. So an hour-long video doesn't exactly find an easy place in my schedule. And yesterday morning, I was busy trying to get things done for Bards Fest, and I got a little nudge from Father. Basically, you need to watch this. So I sat down and thinking I could start doing other things. 
because I'm thinking, well, this is ministry and I'm ready for, you know, sermon and I can go do other things. It wasn't like that. Because it, what is especially profound about his ministry is that you need to watch him because he's working with the horse and he's telling you about the language of another being, a horse. And he's sharing with you the language and the experience that's going on. And so I, I ended up captivated for an hour, but not just captivated. I was in tears. Something very, very profound when we get back to the fundamentals of how we're supposed to be. Or we've really separated ourselves a long way. One of the reasons I love so much when I work with bees or work with the cattle is it's very real. And it's more real than a lot of things we do because you're interacting with another entity, if you will. And they have a way of life. Bees are amazing. I checked on, the, I have to put on a new, two new large or like supers tomorrow but they're busy they're active they don't need an organ they don't need help they know what they're doing and they're going to be wise because if they outgrow their size they're just going to swarm and go somewhere else and get a bigger house so my responsibility is stewardship not management and that's a key word they only need me because i want them to stay there to do my job of making sure that when their house gets bigger, too small, that I expand the house so they can grow and do what they need to do best, which is right now build the size of the hive and build the size of their, of the, of the, what they're growing as far as all their little babies, right? Cattle are similar. They need management in terms of paying attention to them, but they don't need to be told to eat. And I've been watching this new bull that we brought in. And he has these cows well under control. And it's a really big difference in the way they're acting from where they were before. This bull knows who he is, trust me. And I've said that jokingly and, and kind of flippantly, but he is a dominant male in a sense of he's not out there beating them up. He walks with the presence of a bull and that herd is his. And they know it, they respect him for it, and everybody is happier for it. And here's the key, because this is a lot of what comes through in Todd Pierce's work, is that as we build the relationship, as we build with God, as we submit to God, we gain more freedom than we ever did. And this is one of the greatest lies of the fathers of lies, is that independence, me, that sort of individualism, which we have been pounded in our culture so much, doesn't give us more freedom. It gives us less. Because through Jesus and through our relationship in Christ, which is not just me in Christ, but it's Christ in me. And those are important things to remember. God is in a one-way street. It's a two-way street. And what we've taught too much in our churches, and interestingly, you've heard me speak now for a long time. So if you go and listen to what Todd Pierce has to say, what I was most, and this is what someone told me, the person who sent me this, has said, you'll find similarities in what you're saying. And I will tell you very honestly, it's, it's a very comforting place when you stumble into somebody that sees the world with God in a similar way. That's not them speaking. That's the Holy Spirit speaking. The walk that God has me on, that he has others on, not just me. And this is not about me, but my point is 
This walk from the very beginning has not been to walk with the, with the crowd. This is to blaze a path of the Holy Spirit wherever it takes me. And sometimes that path is really lonely. And I don't mean that in terms of like, oh, pity me. I'm saying that there's a lot of people that don't like at times what I've said. But the one thing that the Holy Spirit has shown me over and over is if it shows me the path, stay with the path. And whatever you do, if God tells you to do something, stay with what God tells you to do and don't give in. And you're going to have doubts. I'm, I'm going to assure you there's going to be moments of doubts. But when you have those doubts, that's when you turn to God and you just say, God, and I do this, believe me. I'd be like, Father, I just need you to hear my heart. I am not quitting, but I need to vent. And I let loose at times. And I guarantee you, Father is just sitting there going, okay, I hear you. But see, that was just like this, this Rubicon I passed with Bards Fest, which was a couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago. Having a lot of stress over Bards Fest. And a lot of questioning of whether it was really what I needed to be doing or what we needed to be doing right now. And God's words to me were just so clear and so fatherly. Son, this is not a rebuke, but I need you to trust me and go all in. Man, even now when I said those words, it breaks me. And it's a soft breaking to remind me that there's trust, there's love, but he's asking me to do something that may not be comfortable. We go through kind of a blind space in the way we do faith because it's been ritualized in church. And I've had too many arguments with people trying to tell me how people come to Jesus. If you don't do this, if you don't do that, if you don't do this process, you're not going to come to Jesus. And I'm like, well, okay, that's interesting because I don't think that's true. I think there are things we do that are important. But what Jesus seeks is those that have the heart to accept him and those that have the strength to walk in faith with him. And that's not as common as we think. It should be more common, but it's not. We have to get to know him. We have to have an intimate relationship with him. We have to trust that we, what we hear is his word, and we have to discern what is his word and what is our own. We have to get away from the principle that God is going to be an ugly God that's going to punish us. Because when we get to the place of punishment, we're always anticipating getting smacked down. So we live literally in fear. When we say the fear of God, it is used so inappropriately. It's the fear of being outside of God. That should shake you up. It shouldn't be the fear of obedience and love of God. And it shouldn't be the fear of stumbling because we're going to stumble. One of the things that you'll witness at, at Yuba City, because there's going to be some testimonies that will be played as part of Bard's Fest. Testimonies from people at Yuba City, people that I know, people I've had an opportunity to speak to and even minister to in the sense of I was the 
in that format because I was the speaker at men's camp about a year and a half ago, I guess. Or maybe it was, oh, I'm sorry, it was a year ago. This last fall, I guess, a year ago. These are people that are so broken that if we listen to the way that most churches preach, they're never going to find Jesus. We like to say they will, but if you listen to it, it's like you're forever a sinner. And so that club of that we use in our religion to tell people they are unworthy is creating a slave. It's not creating a disciple. And it's one of those things that I, I really rail on and rail against because it's just not right. It isn't. We're living in a time more than ever right now that we need to be finding the intimacy and the personalness, however you want to frame this, the real relationship with God that you can dialogue with him. Some days you're going to hear him boldly. Some days it's not going to be as bold. But what we have to remember is he's always there. You have to be able to talk to Jesus. You have to be able to have the conversation with him. And it's foreign to us. It shouldn't be, but it is. I've had people that are long time in church and they really look at me and they're like, you, you, you really talk to God? And I'm like, yes. Do you not? Well, well, no, I pray to God. Well, do you talk to him? No. And it's so foreign. They don't even know what to do with it. Why is that? How can we worship somebody and know somebody and understand the authorities he's given to us if, we don't having, if we're not having an intimate conversation with him? I don't know. It's the things that we just have to work with because a lot of where we are, and I've, I beat hard, and you know I go after hard the pulpit, and after, I go out hard after the dead stone walls and the skinny jean pulpit that has no spine or no experience, which are both two problems. And to a certain degree, I mean, there's only so much burden that the church can carry. It's outrightly, it has failed, but there's a bigger responsibility, which are the people. The willingness of people not to seek God, but to be told how to worship God. Not to try to develop a conversation, but to be obedient to a ritual prayer or format and to expect God to fix everything. But that's not what our scriptures say, and that's not what we're here for. And ultimately, we get down to a simple question, which nobody seems to want to answer in the broader body, is why are we here? So when you strip away the world that we're in right now, we're Basically, everything is being done from a distance. We're in a place right now where we're doing digital this, digital that. I know that I can say that when you're working truly in handcraft and you're making things with your hands and trade, and in the trades, there, there, God exists if you're going to open up that door. And it's profound because things happen that just shouldn't be able to happen. The creations that you do with your, and the more that you do it, the more the perfection that you seek. It's pretty amazing. 
And amazing things happen in those spaces, again, that if you're cutting wood or you're building something and it, and it just all of a sudden things just come together and they just snap and they fit. Some of that's experience and some of that's the craft that you master and then there's that other dimension to it that's just the Holy Spirit working with you, especially when your heart's in the right place. But it's hard to get that when we're working in a space where everything is digits and ones and zeros and we have no true interface. It's one of the reasons that when we talk about the handcrafts or the county by county, growing food, uh, building work that's based around right work, all of these things, what we're talking about is an ability to reconnect as well with God. And it's important. And and I'm not limiting to what skills are. But it's a place where we have to get back to that. And it's not something that you can provide a formula with and say, do A, B, C, and it shall be. It's something that takes a discipline. And more than a discipline, it takes a desire, a passion to lean into God to hear his voice, to seek his face. We're dealing with animals. I think perhaps we're reminded of the personalities. And we're put in such this position in this world that we're in that we're always superior to everything. We are definitely the stewards and intended to be the stewards of the earth, but we're not intended to be the enslavers our masters of this world who have taken power because we've given it to them, treat us like slaves and in turn know that we will treat others the same. It's abuse. That's what happens in, in any sort of interaction. As you abuse one, they shall abuse the other. When you torture one, they shall seek to torture another. It's pretty common. It's the whole basis of programming people, programming things or breaking souls to the word, they become obedient and they cease to live. Sure, they'll be ex- excellent performers. They'll follow the rules to a T. They can do things that are better than those with free will because they're f- fearful. And they'll work and work and work to the point of a brutality because they know that if they make one mistake, the punishment will be so severe that they'll, it won't be something they won't be able to get over quickly. And so the abuser becomes that, becomes the one that they worship. It's like a Stockholm syndrome. A person who's held captive long enough starts to worship the captor. The captive, the person who's enslaved, worships the master. That's not God's relationship. That's Satan's relationship with man. That was from the original fall. The idea that humankind, man, should be told how to worship, who to worship, when to worship. And God disagreed. God was at the point of, was, was the design man to have free will, to choose whom he would serve. And in so choosing God, that's when the door opened for the greatest opportunity for the inheritance would be already given. And it's, it's greater than we can imagine, but we had to make the choice on our free will to come to him. We struggle with that today a lot. Worse than struggling, people don't even know how to begin. 
And that includes those that have been going to church and those that includes those that are lost in the sea of gender confusion and, and the me culture. And there's a big batch of them out there. Some perhaps that seem less tendencies toward that than the other. But honestly, there is a moment when we have to realize that those that have been doing the same thing over and over, praying to God, going to church, sitting in a pew, however you want to frame that, what I refer to as pew marshmallows, they've become accustomed and routined in the dead stone walls, in the God that never speaks. And anybody that dares steps into that, and I always you'll always hear this, you'll hear somebody talk in tongues or you'll hear somebody talk about their experience in talking to the Lord and somebody in the crowd will go, oh, they must be Pentecostal. How interesting the culture of church has become. As I shared earlier today, someone asked me what I was talking to today. What is your denomination? And I said, I don't have one. My denomination, my denomination, if you want to call it that, is Jesus. And that's who I seek to be with, to walk with, to talk with, and through Christ to my Father. And the Scripture is my guide. The Bible is my map. It is my field manual, which I use every day in one form or another to wage war against evil. Because I have a God of war who is unbelievably passionate who loves me and loves every, extends love endlessly, but when he drops the hammer, he brings wrath. And his enemies are given an unbelievable latitude to accept him. But at a certain point, God drops the hammer and says that's enough, and when he does, his enemies are destroyed. That's the God I serve. The God I serve is the God, is the God that took his son and said, I will have him sacrificed to save my children. And that God didn't say we were unworthy. He loved us. He loves man. He loves all of us, even our imperfections. And this is where I've talked so much and so important about letting him in. He enjoys living with us, walking with us, experiencing with us. And trust me, I'm an imperfect person. I have my faults. I stumble and fall on my face. And I repent. And I'm sure there's certain points that God rolls his eyes and goes, okay, are we doing this again? It's like, yep, Father, I did it again. But you know what? He never walks away. He stays with me. And we get closer. And more happens. And there's challenges that each one of us have to overcome. And those challenges are there for us to overcome. And there's sometimes they're tough ones. But we like to say where much is given, much is asked, but where does that begin? Many times it's where little is given, much has to be earned. Let me explain that. We need to take what's given to us and we need to nurture it. Do the best with it we can. Quit worrying about where we want to go. Start focusing where God's opening the doors for us to begin. I've told this joke before, but it has a very serious context to it. It's the man that's praying to be saved 
as the waters are rushing up around him in a flood, he crawls up on the roof of his house and he sits and he says, God, save me. Please, Lord, save me. The waters are coming up. So a helicopter flies over and throws down a rope and he says, no, I'm waiting for the Lord to save me. The helicopter flies away. Pretty soon a boat comes up and says, here we are, and throws out a life preserver or a life donut with a rope. And he says, no, I'm waiting for God to save me. And then a guy comes along and he's floating on a log with some inner tubes. He calls to him, he says, jump in, come in with me. We can save float down here. He says, no, I'm waiting for God to save me. And he ends up drowning. So in his afterlife, as the joke goes, he stands before Father and he says, why didn't you send anything? Why didn't you come save me? Why didn't you come save me? And God said, what are you talking about? I sent you a helicopter. I sent you a boat. I sent you a guy on a raft with a log. What more did you want? We build these expectations up about what we think God wants. We try to tell ourselves we're going to serve God. But has anybody bothered to spend time asking what God wants us to do? And that's the most important part about all of this. You know, I told you last weekend, I went over to Bandon, and I it was a real challenging moment because I, I had this draw to go up on stage and give this sermon with, it was about open carry, and to walk up there with my loaded firearm. Open carry. And I, I really struggled with it because I was like, God, did I hear you right or did, is this me? Who's, who's at stake here? I mean, who's, who's pushing this narrative? Is it me or is it you? And really what it was was neither. I just hadn't clarified yet. There was no right or wrong answer in that, but there other in terms of carrying the firearm, open carrying on stage, the answer rested in motive. So I prayed on it and I prayed on it. And I hear these words, who is it about you and your gun or me? And I said, well, God, of course it's about you. That's what this whole thing is about. So he says, okay, then let's go have some fun. We forget that God has a sense of humor and he also enjoys living with us. I laughed. I'm like, you really want to open carry on stage? He's I'm going to enjoy it. And I tell this to people, I tell this story to people and people that don't have a conversation with God or don't have the, the relationship with God, they'll look at you with kind of this tilted head like he's just making this up as a narrative to story. This isn't a made up story. This is a conversation. And when you start throwing God in there, like you're speaking as if, if you're going to be speaking fake words into what God is saying, people should think about the consequences of that because that's really not a good thing. These conversations are real. And every time that I have them, they end up being in the right place. What's the validation? If you're questioning that, and one of the questions is like, well, did it really happen? It did happen. And the most amazing thing is, is everything that he led to do on that was exactly as it should be. And the message was delivered correctly. The more that we lean into him and we start learning to listen to him and hearing his voice and knowing how to discern and recognize his voice, the more profound our walk in life becomes. 
But there's a lot of conditioning that every single one of us has to overcome. And some more than others. I am grateful beyond words that I never grew up in the church. And I mean this because I didn't get indoctrinated into the cult of telling me that I was in, I was not worthy. The cult of telling me how to be obedient and that to be a fairy of God. I didn't get indoctrinated into a cult that wouldn't accept deliverance or, or miracle healing or raising the dead. And I had my own hangups on it because I've witnessed the fake ones. I've witnessed the televangelist that likes to use it as a way to raise more money. I've seen the hypocrisy in the church. I lived it in my own town that I'm back in now. A hypocrisy that's hard to describe to people that were never here. It was a cult. And it wasn't just one church. It was many. And it really, really tainted me with my perspective towards faith. But unfortunately, that was a wrong interpretation. It took me a long time to realize that what I was really tainted with was what I should be tainted with, which was the dead stone walls, the temple that had no Holy Spirit, and the corruption of man that were masquerading around as spokesmen and bridges and conduits to God, when in fact they were neither and none of the above. The whole time, the answer was standing there before me. All I had to do was reach to him and say, Father, guide me, teach me, and learn to listen and trust. Now, I was blessed with a father that had very strong faith, but not in the, not in the church or religiosity sense. He didn't speak the Christianese that others, others spoke, but he insisted on the power of faith. And he lived his life on the power of faith and still does. And those were the things that kept me anchored in the right direction as I searched and I bumped around. And I was fortunate because God didn't ever let me go. He doesn't let any of us go. And I was able to navigate through my life and realize that when he finally got hold of me and put me where I needed to be, that I would listen to him and not be wrapped up in a church, but listen to him. That the experiences that he allowed me to go through set me up for exactly where he needed me today. And the word that I shared, I believe, last night from a good friend of mine, but it's worth sharing again. It was a word that was shared with me, but to be shared with others. And it was this. God took time to consider each one of us before we were brought into this world. To envision what, our, what he wanted for us and of us and wrote it in his book. When we came into this world for many reasons, much of that is forgotten, we have to find it. But sadly, in a world like this, not only do we forget it, we often lose our way. And so the challenge really is to seek that out and to find that place, to discover what it is that God had intended for me, what God had intended for you, and to embrace that and run with it. And therein comes that same question, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to follow the Holy Spirit? Are you willing to let go and let the Holy Spirit guide you? Because all these things create a measure of fear. Like it or not, they're going to create some fear and anxiety. Call it what you will. You can call it anxiety, nervousness, apprehension. At the end of the day, at the core of it, it's fear. Because if we really start talking to God, and we really start accepting that what he says we need to do, 
we might end up in places that we just say we can't do it. We don't want to do it. I don't want to leave where I live. I don't want to take a drive. I don't want to do this. And we start being stubborn little kids. And the more and more that we do that, the harder it's going to be to connect with God. There's a pastor I knew. I mentioned him a number of times. His name is Paul Cantrell. He's in Portland, Oregon. Paul's a good is a good friend. And I, and I say that even though I don't have not known him a long time, but he's one of these people that once I connected with him, I knew that we were intended to be known together. That's how God works. So it feels like we've known each other much longer than we have. And naturally, as God works, when I met his family, his children, he has 10 children with his wife. It was just like we had known each other our whole lives. That's how God works. And I tease him about this for a lot of times, but because just because it's fun to tease him. But the fact is he's obedient. When God told him to go pray in front of a church, God said, put a box over your head and right on the outside of the box, you can't put God in a box and pray before that church for three hours. Maybe it was two. <clears throat> and pray there before that church and pray that they'll do the right thing. And he put that box on his head and Paul went to pray. And when Paul was finished praying, there was something like eight and a half inches of snow on the ground and it continued to flurry like crazy in Portland to where even a week later, the snow was still there when I went up there. And only in that one area, by the way. We are capable of unbelievable things as the children of the Most High. Our authorities are given to us that this is a world that we should be literally giving advice and wisdom to nations, not being receiving the extra pieces and scraps of their ideas to enslave us by the nations we're supposed to be guiding. The world has been completely inverted, and it's been inverted because of us. Our willingness to accept an earthly leadership rather than realizing that we are the kings and queens. We are the, the children of the Most High. But we didn't do that. And now we're in a bit of a problem. We're struggling with so many things. We don't know where often to begin. We look at this mountain on so many sides and we say, what, how do we get to it? We see a trail that moves before us that disappears into a crevasse that we don't really know if we have the right gear to, to get through. We wonder if we have the stamina to get to the top of the peak that seems so far away because our eyes look out there and they don't look on the feet before us. We don't take the time to watch each step and enjoy each step and trust in Father to have to tell us where to place each piece of our way. And we don't enjoy the experience of the walk, which is consuming in the moment, but also directed towards a climb up a hill. But we get wrapped around what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, how it's going to happen when I get up to that peak. How am I going to stand there? What's my food supply is going to be like? How much water do I need? Forgetting along the way that Father will provide it all. We have to get better at being in the moment and being with Him. We have to get better on focusing on Father and focusing on our Savior, realizing that when we say, I am within Christ or I've accepted Christ, that that again is a two-way street. As I am in Him, He is in me. And when we get to that place and start to breathe and realize that truly we're working together, we're not working apart, I'm not working as a slave, I'm not working as a subordinate, we're working together because that's the idea of living in the body of Christ. It's the idea of being set free. Yes, there's parameters, of course there are. 
God tells us what those things are to do, but they shouldn't be any, there's really not like a no brainer at the end of the day, but boy, do we obsess on them. And the more that we obsess on them, they become a greater burden. So let's just use one, for example. Men have a problem. Many men have a problem of porn addiction. And so it becomes a big deal. I can't get rid of porn. My my question is always, why not? Because I can't stop watching it. It's a choice. So we look for answers. We start to say, well, maybe it's demonically possessed or demonically possessed or, or, or driven. We look at the addiction and we say, okay, all right, well, these are the things you have to start coming to. And the answer is not any. It's perhaps all of those, but it's definitely missing the one key center point. You're walking, if you've accepted Christ in your life, you're walking with him and he's walking within you. What that's telling me is when a person can't get over an addiction, part of that relationship is missing. They may have accepted Christ, but they're not allowing Christ to be within them. So they're still trying to put the foot in the mortal world and trying to put a foot in the kingdom world, and that doesn't work. Because at the end of the day, when we start talking about the miracles of Christ, the healing of Christ, the profound things that we do and will do tomorrow, for example, and pray. These things that we're talking about, this is a part of us becoming united with the body of Christ. As he is in me, I am in him. And so many of the things that we are faced with, we make mountains out of. instead of just walking with Christ and letting it go away. Is it too simple of a solution? Probably not, if we really think of the profound statement that is. But I think it's one of those things that's easy to say and very difficult to do because at the end of the day, to truly let Christ into our lives, we have to let go of what controls our lives. We have to trust. I throw trust out a lot. And I know I get back very frequently that I trust, I trust, I trust. Okay. And I trust too. But I also know that when I say many times myself to my relationship with God and I say, I, I trust. And then when I'm put to the test, I find out that that trust isn't as deep as I thought it was. But in the relationship with God, as I'm talking to him and talking to him about it and being open about that experience, if I'm allowing myself to use his eyes, then I begin to see where those trips and traps are in my own life and the process that I go through, knowing that very well that if God has guided me to do something, I know that I will do it. But I know along the way of that path, when it gets bumpy, I'm probably going to kick and scream, scream a little bit. But that's the glor- gloryful part of the process because as I kick and scream, if I'm really committed to doing what God has told me, It's not going to be easy, but it will be revealing. And when I get there, it will be freeing. It's like dealing with people. When you stumble on somebody and suddenly there's a a backlash and somebody wants to discard them and junk them and throw them away. God doesn't throw us away. Humans throw people away. God may go silent for a while 
And sometimes silence is a good thing because someone, other people need to reflect on things. We all need to reflect at times because getting in the middle of a, a fray can end up creating more damage than good. So distance and time and patience is often, to a certain degree, can be a very healing process. As long as we come back together to, con- to address the issues, but hopefully nobody's hanging on to it. And you'll know. You have this time away with something and you come back and you just want to address the issue and then pretty soon the other person's like dumping into a drama and you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> they really hung on to that and they didn't work through it. But that's all right. Because even at those moments, if we're walking with Jesus and that person starts to dump on us, we start to realize that our position there is to be the receiver of it so that we can pass it off and then get to the heart of the person. It's ultimately all about the intimacy with Christ. So Todd Pierce, where I started all this, He does that with horses as a metaphor of how we have to do things with God and have to, how we have to do things with others. I'm going to play a short piece here at the, near the end here from him, about three minutes. We've inherited so much. This nation that was fought for, the battles were won, the sacrifices were made, and now we're the ones that get to steward this land. I don't think that it's a pandemic or the wars or the violence that's destroying us. It's more internal. If we're the land of the free and the home of the brave, then why does it look like everybody's so scared? If we're actually free, then fear doesn't get to speak to us anymore. The horse became a reflection of who I was. As we go on this journey together, you're going to see yourself in the lives of, of these horses that we present, and, and every one of us can find some ways to relate with them and see that there's so much potential that's locked up inside of each one of us that our environment has actually formed the way we believe. We don't see ourselves the right way. The same way with these animals, they don't see what I see when I look at them. Their whole world has just been minimized by their surroundings. But only here did that little band of men so advance beyond their time that the world has never seen their like since evolve the idea that you and I have within ourselves the God-given right and the ability to determine our own destiny. But freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. We are in a time right now with a lot of decisions that we face. Decisions in our personal lives, challenges, a lot of weight on us. A society that's literally falling apart. We didn't ask for this, but we're part of it. We didn't plan on this, but it's here. 
And unfortunately, with a type of world like this, it's very easy to point the finger and try to find the reasons and cause and effect. Something like this isn't just a simple cause and effect. But the way forward is a lot easier than I think we realize. The details look overwhelming. That mountain looks really high. The obstacles between there and up the hill seem almost impossible to surmount. You've got landslide sections and shale sides of the mountain. You've got deadfalls and snags. You've got burned out sections with carcasses of trees that are about ready to fall. It looks daunting. You've even got crevasses and canyons of washouts and cracks in the ground. It's probably up there somewhere, the trail's so washed out that there's going to be a sign up there telling you to go back. But you cannot go back. Not if you're going to walk this path. Because all of this means nothing. All of those obstacles mean nothing if we let the fear go away. Call it what you want, like I said. Call it anxiety, apprehension. Call it what you want. Right now, this is a world where the apprehension of people stepping into the ring to follow the Holy Spirit, to let that go, to step deep into Christ, something is holding people back. My guess is it's a fear of having to let go of what we've determined has kept us safe and secure. Ask yourself the question, are you willing to do whatever the Holy Spirit leads? That's a big question. And it's a frightening one for some. At one point or another, every one of us has to struggle with that. And that could mean big things. It might mean leaping off the roof of the, the metaphorical roof and jumping into the, into the open air wondering if you have a parachute. But the Holy Spirit, if it leads you and God's got you and you're clear in your communication with Father, you're going to be okay. But we have to get past that apprehension. We have built many chains that have tied us to this world. We refer to it as many things, a materialist society, a debt-ridden society, a slave-debt slave society, idol worship. I can go on a list. None of it means anything when you simply put before you what your sole purpose is. The purpose is to serve Father God. Our relationship that we have in the daily is with our Savior, Jesus. Our task and purpose is defined by the authorities that were given to us to spread the good news, to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, and to pursue that other thing that we don't even know sometimes what it is, but the greater works than he. That's a life pursuit, a daily pursuit, a daily breath. It's our daily, it's our daily bread. So with all of that said, I don't know where you're at. I know what I see when I look across a society. I see a lot of apprehension. And I ask myself why. And I look at the path that God put me on and I'm thankful every day. 
Because any apprehension that was there, he beat out of me. By experience, not by his own hand. And there's always new that will crop up and you have to address it as it comes. But at this point in time, we have to go back to what God's intention was for us on this earth. What's written in his book. And that's something each one of us should be trying to seek. And as we address and find and connect with that, and we let go of the fear, could you imagine a world like that? A world so profound and so bold. A world that every day and every step we walk, we declare it to be kingdom space. We don't do it out of just frivolousness. We do it out of the authorities given to us by our Savior. We're courageous. We're fearless. We do things sometimes that others look at us and go, well, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Because the Holy Spirit called me, because I felt it in my heart to do it, because I'm compelled to try to learn. And if I'm wrong, God will tell me and will remind me. And if it's something really egregious, you'll probably get rebuked. But the way Father rebukes isn't with a stick. It just be a reminder. And for all that programming that tells you that when you do something wrong, get rid of the programming that tells you Father is punishing you. Because we don't have a father that's built on retribution. That's Satan. We have a father that's built on teaching and loving and nurturing and raising us up. And yes, there's such a thing as wrath, but that's a long ways out there. And if you're on that side of wrath, yeah, well, you've, you've missed a lot of chances along the way. We have to re-image our relationship with Father. We have to build up the relationship in a positive way to seek him, to seek his face, and to be pursuant of that. We have to be excited about judgment because judgment isn't something to fear, but something to embrace. And as we go through a daily repentance, we begin to get rid of those things that are holding us back and we get closer to him. All those negative burdens of things that have been built in the church of the dead stone walls, they need to go away. Bury them and give life to the living God, the God of miracles, the Savior that died on the cross for us to be resurrected to give us life. Give life to those things. Give life to the Holy Spirit that lifts you up, that empowers you, that you lean into. Yeah, that's the one. And be fearless. Because God is fearless. And we are made in his image. Let's pray. Oh, Father, blessed are we all and humbled are we all at the magnitude of the world that we're given to steward and the responsibility and trust that has been put upon our shoulders if we will so embrace it. Humbled are we at your feet to know how much you love us, how much you continue to love us, walk with us, and seek to be part of our lives. And equally humbled are we for the times that we've walked away and said, no, forgive us. Father, tonight the prayer is simple. It's a prayer of an encounter, a moment. It's a prayer that I'm praying for everybody. A prayer of a blessing 
of hearing your voice, of seeing your face. To have a moment where it becomes a need, it, it becomes undeniably clear that you're speaking to learn how to hear and to hear that amazing and overwhelming voice that breaks us quietly, leaves us humbled, unquestioning, and knowing that we've now touched the moment and space of the living God, the God of miracles, the God of hosts, the one God, the most high, whom we are the children of. Jesus, with this prayer, comes the end of the same prayer, that there's a moment to encounter, to be blessed upon every person that hears this tonight. An encounter which literally puts you before them in a profound way. An encounter that is so profound, it strips away any of the burdens and ridiculous images that the dead stone walls have painted of you and reveals you as the mighty savior warrior, the compassionate, loving son of God that you are. May these be the blessings for all that hear. And Father, I say this on my own with all that will concur. I say this with the authorities given by our Savior to declare these things into the world, to ask for them if they are your will, but to ask you boldly as one, as a son of the Most High, to have this be, to make this so, and to transform the hearts of the many, to rid of doubt, to rid of fear, and to raise this army up in such an amazing way. Thank you, Father, humbly. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, humbly. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Seek the living God. Put to bed the idea of a dead stone wall and a dead scripture. Seek the living word. Seek it through the powers and miracles that come from that. Believe in what the Bible tells you. Miracles do exist. Put away the doubters, those that want to try to tell you it's ridiculous or it's some sort of strange branch of faith. I told you, I don't have a denomination. I just have Jesus in my heart. And in my relentless pursuit of Jesus and to Jesus to my Father. And I have a passion for the Holy Spirit when it fills me. And I know when it comes. And I'm just a baby in, the, in that growth. But I want more of it. I'll never stop pursuing it. And I'm not going to listen to the critics or the deniers. I'm not going to listen to those who try to tell me I'm one thing or another. I know where I sit, and I'll continue to get better at it. And I also know that along the way, I'm going to fall flat on my face once in a while. And the best part about it is, Father's going to be right there. He's just going to be saying, so, you all right? I'll be like, yeah. He'll be like, hurt a little bit, didn't it? Uh, I'd probably be like, yeah, it kind of sucked. He's like, should we try it again? You bet. Let's go, Father. Let's climb this mountain again, because I'm going to get to the top. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight.
God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Tomorrow is Prayer Friday. So get yourself ready to bring as many people to bear as we can. We've got a lot of work to do. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest depth. Oh, I want to feel something. Let me get back in my body. Oh. Close to me, look how it is.